Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. And a very good morning to you. Our lines are open. Your views are welcome. 0818103103. Or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And ahead on this morning's programme, we're going to speak with a councillor who is accusing the government of a hidden agenda to phase out rural communities. Now, this is a clear-based councillor and he feels that many decisions made regarding planning for one-off housing is going against what rural Ireland is all about. And he feels they're trying to push everybody into towns and cities and maybe uh, create villages uh, that are at a small scale at the moment and a larger scale in some areas across the country. Well, he'll join us this morning. Your views are welcome. He's going to explain why he feels like this. It's something he's noticed in many rural areas. He's based in West Clare, but he's speaking, I think, for a lot of areas right across the country. So your views are welcome. Also, we're going to hear more from, uh, we were in Mill Street yesterday, of course, speaking with Noel Buckley from the Mill Street Community Council. He joined us live on the show yesterday yesterday with an update on what indeed the facilities are like within the Green Glens Arena for those Ukrainian refugees who arrived there on Wednesday evening and they were settling into the arena yesterday. Well, we'll be in Mill Street again this morning finding out how they are settling into the town of Mill Street. Also, Kerry have agreed to Cork's request to postpone their home and away arrangement and stage their Munster Senior Football Championship semi-final in Parky Ring on May 7th. Does that, that now mean that the whole debacle is over well uh, it's up to the Munster Council so we'll find out more our GAA reporter Finmar McCarthy will join us later in the programme and why parents are urged to learn more about the online world so they can ensure their children are kept safe when they are online and the big thing here is that if your child is on the street or in a playground, you will watch them. But when they're online, safety experts feel there's no one watching them and online can be as dangerous as the real world. So we will discuss with CyberSafe kids who say the offline world now uh, that everybody is talking about, uh, we should be doing the same when it comes to online. We're going to hear from a group of Cork parents who have teamed up with a number of other groups. And basically what they are going to do is fighting together 
together and it's awful to think that in 2022 this is still happening but parents coming together a number of different groups who fight already for their own child and other children who have learning difficulties um, also learning disabilities uh, trying to access services within the HSE and other services across the Department of Health they're unable to do that so basically they've had enough and they've come together uh, to fight now for these uh, as many would say are vital uh, child services they're planning a march next week and we'll speak with them uh, they're called FUS is the name of the group and we'll find out why everybody has come together at this stage uh, basically because of frustration I suppose of long waiting lists trying to access the various services across the health service and we were speaking earlier with Ken Tobin on the breakfast show about hoarding items Ken admitted he's a hoarder are you a hoarder? Well it seems hoarding is a sign of anxiety and we're going to talk about decluttering with Ireland's Queen of Decluttering Anne-Marie Kingston will join us later in the programme if you have a question about decluttering get that into us she will join us later on after midday and also ahead parking spaces for motorhomes we spoke about on the show yesterday this was how motorhome parking spaces or camper van spaces in Formoy are being changed but it also comes from people who wanted to park in those spaces and they were taken up with cars and they were saying the car and motorists were abusing the spaces which are meant to be for camper vans and the new spaces now were on the side of a road and many listeners yesterday were making the point that if you're in a camper van how are you going to get a decent night's sleep if you're parked up at the side of the road and are they appropriate places seemingly it's a bit tight on the road they're in now the new location in Formoy so that and more between now and one and your views are welcome and Bernie takes those calls 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and mentioned there regarding Ukrainian refugees arriving in Mill Street well uh, we heard earlier this week that those who pledged they would house uh, refugees in their own homes that that pledge uh, basically people took it away and over 1,000 people who said they wouldn't take refugees have decided against that that they're not going to do that now uh, and they changed their minds basically so I'm not too sure is this why it's coming out from the Irish Independent who have learned of proposals being considered by government of how households could be paid up to 400 euros a month and the money would be obviously enough then to accommodate Ukrainian refugees. Now, there are only proposals at the moment, but the Department of Social Protection and the Revenue Commissioners, they have asked, uh, they have been asked to draw up plans to pay households who take in refugees. And now the exact details of how the payment will work and how everything will work is still to be decided. Uh, the proposal, though, it would aim to cover the extra costs such as increased utility bills arising in households as a result of hosting refugees. But one senior source said it would also provide an incentive to households to take people in and that incentive would be planning to pay people 400 euros a month to take in refugees so would that entice you to take in those refugees fleeing war in Ukraine uh, or would it not considering about 1,000 I think people have changed their minds from when initially they made a pledge to take in refugees into their homes uh, via the Red Cross and because there are so many refugees coming to our shores and a lot of people are saying where are we going to house uh, these refugees and now we have this situation with the Greenlands Arena and they're supposed to be temporary setups but uh, I think they'll be going on for quite some while uh, because we know we have an accommodation crisis as even we spoke with Noel Buckley yesterday from Mill Street Community Council there's been a, a crisis here uh, with accommodation long before any pandemic so you'd wonder where this will end up for the refugees where they will end up staying long term but again many of them are happy to be in any facility considering what they are fleeing and the pictures we are looking at from Ukraine but 
To speed things up now at this stage, and this is coming from the Irish Daily Mail, inspections that were happening, and these inspections were taking place in accommodation pledged by the public uh, to house refugees. The government now has taken a decision that they will not be inspecting any of the B&B accommodation or hotels or any private homes that is going to house refugees. And this is basically to speed up the process I mean, we're going to see large uh, numbers arriving over the next while, but seemingly a lot of refugees themselves now, because they're aware of what is happening, are sourcing their own accommodation through social media and local voluntary groups. But inspectors from uh, the likes of Engineers Ireland or the Auctioneers and Valuers Association of Ireland, they typically carry out these assessments of the properties. And the reason they do that, uh, they want to see if they're adequate or indeed if they meet the health and safety standards. But Uh, At the moment, it seems they are going to, according to the Irish Daily Mail, uh, these inspections will disappear for a while uh, in order to speed up the process of housing refugees. Well, we'll stay on the issue of refugees. And uh, as I said there, Ukrainian refugees now uh, settling in to their new home at the Green Glens Arena in Mill Street. Yesterday, we spoke with Noel Buckley from Mill Street Community Council. Well, our news reporter, Murray Tuig, was in Mill Street and she first of all spoke with Jerry O'Leary of O'Leary Family Butchers and how Mill Street is running around those who are fleeing war. We're a good town for that um, the red carpet has been put out by nearly everyone in town um, and what else would you expect you know that's what we should be doing for these people because they're on, what they're going through is cruel and the community really stands with Ukraine doesn't it I mean, I, on my way up I saw people giving directions and things so it's lovely to see it absolutely yeah but it's um, like we, we're, we've been we're used to this in Mill Street we have a lot of um, refugees coming through the town over the years uh, but I expect any town in Ireland would do it. You know, these people are they are vulnerable, they're like ourselves, they're going through hell at the moment, and I think any help that we can give them, it will be shown by the people in Milstrand, right? And you were saying it there earlier, if it was us in their situation, we'd like to, we'd appreciate the same. Well, that's all you can hope for, you know, they, um, and they are. They're, I've met a few people now this morning from Ukraine, and they're, they're us in a different country, coming from a different country. And like, like I said, if, um, if, this, if it was the other way around, we would hope maybe we get the same help from people. And you mentioned there that expecting more to come in, but there's plenty of capacity and, and room here in Mill Street. Yeah, um, it, like, obviously it's not the best setup. Like, it's not, you rather if it wasn't that situation, but this is unprecedented. There's um, thousands of people coming to our country. They have nowhere to go. And I think the job they've done down the Greenlands is fantastic. They've, they've, they've done everything they possibly can to accommodate and make them feel as comfortable as possible. And I think that's the way it should be. And that is Jory O'Leary, who is from O'Leary Family Butchers in Mill Street and how the town itself is rallying around uh, the Ukrainian refugees who are fleeing war. And yesterday also we heard on the show about the work IRD Do Hallow is doing in coordinating supplies for the refugees within the Green Glens Arena in Mill Street. Maura Walsh of IRD Do Hallow, she spoke to our news reporter Murray Tuwick in Mill Street on first where the majority of the refugees have come from in Ukraine. Some of them, a lot of them have come from city areas that have come out of fairly, you know, densely populated cities. So the the rural uh, ambience is, is, you know, they're they're not they're not maybe as okay with seeing animals and things so up close in fields as they they will hear. Um, but we are looking at this like Mill Street has earlier on. Mill Street has only eight hundred out of a population. They've already, you know, included and supported over. 200 um, asylum seekers if we're adding close on another 400 refugees 
that's almost the population of the village itself, but the town itself. And it, it would be the same as putting maybe half a million people into Cork City and asking them to absorb that. So Mill Street hasn't the capacity to absorb 400 people in Dog. So we will be certainly looking at our all our villages and towns across Duhalla. We're looking at this as a Duhalla response rather than a Mill Street and Bantia response. So playgrounds, um, sports facilities, sports clubs, everything like that, um, maybe active retire groups all over the place will be looking, you know, to disperse the group here during the day so that they're not in a, an enclave of 400 day and night. And in terms of transport then to the rest of you, Hollow, I mean, what can what are there plans in place? There? Yeah, we we have we we've been getting great cooperation from um, Rural Link, our our colleagues in Bantry. They've uh, Damien has already set a bus for the people in Bantir can go into Cantork uh, a couple of times a day, you know, morning or evening, pick up their post office, go to the bank, go to the shops, whatever they want to do. Um, here now it is walking distance to the town, so that's that's not an issue. But we're looking at I suppose what we are doing at the moment is just information gathering, the age profile, the you know, what are the needs. The big question all morning, we're here since eight o'clock, but the, the big question all morning is English language lessons, how soon? And we're very lucky here in Mill Street there is an ETB centre here. The other centre is in, in the James O'Keefe building where we are ourselves. But um there will be classes available for beginners, intermediate and advanced. I think there will be high demand for the beginners um, and the be- and that's of all ages. Uh, there are some intermediate that would just like to improve. They understand, but they, they're not confident speaking. And I think a lot of us that have left school for a while would relate to that in relation to Irish. We've had fantastic donations from local businesses, local communities, collection points set up in all the communities. So... And what we are not using will be moved on to the next place. Brilliant. And we met Letitia inside a beautiful little dog. Lovely. So there's, oh, there, there's, there's furry friends here as well. There are about 20 furry friends that I could see this morning from amazing, shiny, big black labs right down to little, tiny, like Letitia, little, I don't know what it was. A Pomeranian, maybe, or something. What tiny thing, anyway. <laughs> it's, it's open, like the people have been coming and going all morning. They've been downtown, they've come back up with bags of potatoes and whatever. And they're free to go anytime, you know, unless Bus Mill Street is lucky as well as the train, you know, trips to Killarney or that. Now, please God, over the summer will be possible. Or indeed, if they were to go to the city, it's totally possible from here as well, walking distance. Amazing, and we just saw one couple there. They're gone now, but they they actually drove here as well. So they did actually. They have driven all their their Ukrainian registered car. Met them this morning. Um, they got comfort here last night from from the Duggins estate here, but they're on their way on to Wexford to a house, and we helped set them up with Google Maps, and um, they took some dressing gowns and whatever bits and pieces they might need with them for the road I think they got a, a packed lunch as well before they left so we had a nice uh, flash of lights and goodbye there from them and kisses uh, what, what air kisses is it you call them Perio. so yeah they're they're fantastic so we're delighted that they're they're on their way
Maura Walsh of IRD2 Hollow speaking to our news reporter Murray Tuig as Ukrainian refugees settled into their new home at the Green Glens Arena in Mill Street yesterday. Uh, your views are welcome as we've been speaking today and indeed yesterday on this and now as the government are considering anyhow offering €400 Euros a month for people to take in refugees. Would that entice you to open your home to those fleeing war in Ukraine? Uh, Bernie taking those comments across the show 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 and reacting there on our report from Mill Street regarding Ukrainian refugees in the Green Glens Arena uh, Texer here says I'm on social welfare but have a two bed house and would like to help a single person but what would be the penalties for me personally with social welfare if I took only one person as times are hard enough but I do feel a home may be temporary if that is what the person is looking for what would happen though to me if I do take some someone in from Ukraine. Uh, well, the situation it hasn't been clarified, but sources are saying there won't be any effect on somebody who is, you know, claiming benefits for social welfare or on pension or whatever it is, uh, that the benefits will not change because there is such a demand now for those coming into the country looking for accommodation. They're not going to penalise Irish people who were on social welfare, who were doing good by bringing Ukrainian people into their homes. Uh, so for nothing confirmation-wise has been said, they haven't provided provide any clarity but sources have told us and also it's been reported in papers that they don't uh, they're not going to penalise anybody if someone is taking in refugees and you're worried your social welfare your benefits will be affected by that uh, at the moment sources say uh, they won't be but it's a question that if you do pledge your house you will be not that, that you pledge your, your your house and somebody's just going to rock on you're going to be dealing with the Irish Red Cross uh, who are coordinating this so it's a question you would be asking them as well and, and they will find out official information then towards your own situation and what benefits you are getting but from sources within a government they that's the way they are looking at it that it won't affect you but again just a, a big clarity point on that they haven't officially said that as yet and it's just sources have saying that but it is something if you are considering and if you are in touch with the Red Cross and, and they give you a call back it's certainly a question you need to ask them as well if that is your situation and if you're in the Bantry area, a few texts on this. JP, do you know why the 3 network is not working in Bantry over the last couple of days? We have got in contact with 3. If you're in the Bantry area and you're a customer of 3, let us know if you're affected by this as well. But we have contacted that company and we'll wait and see what they say to us regarding the reception and data of 3 in the Bantry area. On the way there, we're going to speak with a councillor. He's based in West Clare, but he is accusing the government of a hidden agenda to phase out rural communities. Do you agree with them? We'll speak with them next. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. The government has a hidden agenda to phase out rural communities across Ireland. So says PJ Kelly, a Clare-based Fianna Fáil councillor who joined me this morning. Good morning to you, PJ. Uh, good morning. And thanks for joining us. I mean, is one of the reasons you were saying this is due to planning and so many people having problems getting planning permission in rural areas. Many of these people would have been born and bred in this area. Yeah, well, planning used to be a reasonably straightforward issue. But nowadays we have added the final clamp on it with the Office of Planning Regulator. And it's not quite clear what his role is, but... We're getting directions from on high to do what we're told effectively. Planning is not a science, as you know. It's different things to different people. It's a mixture of preference and prejudice. 
punctuated by politics. And often planning authorities have interrupted court because of their ambiguity and so on. In fact, the Irish government uh, was in court for the European Commission not too long ago because of planning uh, regulations. It hasn't today complied with it. But to me, the last straw is in the National Framework Plan, which has been administered by the Office of Planning Regulator. This has brought in what's known as a population allocation. Note the words, population allocation. Now, the last time I heard, or the first time I heard about this was in China, and after that in North Korea. Now, we're not too sure how the population allocation is going to take place, but from what we see, there's a suspicion that the greater part will be towards urban areas and the lesser part towards rural areas. So do you feel, PJ, the reason for this, they are doing this, is because if you have population in one area, you can provide services, where here in Ireland, we have a very dispersed population located in various parts across the country. And then we're always fighting for one thing or another because of the lack of services. And that is due to what the government say, past and present, too many one-off houses. So do you think, is that why they're bringing in this allocation population? I I don't think so. I mean, in Switzerland years ago, the... The powers that be decided to bring the farmers into towns and villages, forgetting that they had to drive out to their farm every day and come back every night. So what we have to do is actually hit the reality button and face up to what's happening. Now, there is a kind of a hidden agenda here that, oh, rural Ireland is causing uh, pollution problems. But we have made no real attempt to deal with pollution here. We have made... Little moves here, little moves there. We banned the production of beet briquettes in Bornemona. Now we're importing them from Germany. I mean, we're a bit of a laugh. And the fact you bring up climate change there, many will say if the more one-off homes we have across the country, people are then on our roads and future governments don't want people to be on roads. They're very much looking at public transport. Even this week in Cork, they're launching new ways of getting people on and using public transport. And that's across city and county. Uh, So do you think this will be used as well in a bid to make things more centralised? I think we're forgetting that the Irish people are different to the rest of the world. We do things in a fairly intelligent way, and we don't compromise ourselves with plans and so on and so forth. Now, if we look at the housing situation, every house that's built in rural Ireland is worth the government approximately 80000 It's worth the state that's in revenue. Every social house that's built is costing the state 300000 If we totally ban rural housing. We're going to have a massive housing crisis. In my own county, we have 51 towns and villages without wastewater, uh, proper wastewater systems. Therefore, we can go in and build houses in towns. Now, there is a further aspect to it, and that is tourism. Most of the tourists who come over from the continent in particular, and they come from a different environment, they're fascinated with the idea of houses out in a rural place. They're indicative of life and lies. But I have a funny feeling that this idea of population allocation is going to be contested in the courts. I believe it's going to be contested successfully. I'm not a a legal man in any way, but I've seen a lot of cases against planning authorities down through the years. And fair play, breach of fair play, 
And do you and feel it, when you mentioned planning authorities and you mentioned the regulator earlier in, in the interview that no, local authorities... Law, the county council is the planning authority. Yeah, the, 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 that is supervised by the regional authority. And now we have brought in the planning regulator. Uh, and the, the reason, though, many will say that was brought in was because of mistakes made by local councillors and the local authority over the years where houses were built because someone might have been uh, in contact with those in the local authority, knowing them, and they had to get more transparency. That was the reason for all these regulators. Ah, uh, yes, but, I mean, we have to realise that the National Framework Plan went through the doll on the nod, the elbow and the wing, N-E-W-O. That wasn't a word from TDs or senators. In fact, I have spoke to some of them and they asked me, what, are you sure that was there? What is it? It went through pre- before the last election, quietly. And fair play to civil servants. They know how to manage our politicians. They know how to handle them. And I always say, fair play to John Joe up there. He even knows how to manage the ministers. But when you look then, are you afraid that we, when you look to other countries, because you, you're in West Clare, you're, you're very aware of the, the situations that, that we have here as well in, in our county area of Cork with post offices closing uh, and other rural services closing and, and people moving away from rural areas over the last, well, now we, we've seen the opposite. I must say since the pandemic, people are returning back to where they're from because they can work remotely. Uh, but every time we, we've seen a, a blow to rural communities, we do look to Australia. And if you look there, you will see everything is in major towns and in big cities and there's very metro versus rural life in Australia but when you go to rural Australia PJ it's very rural nothing like Ireland it's, there's nothing for miles and miles are you afraid that would be the impact here when you see derelict houses and villages now which would have been thriving years ago with pubs and shops now only left with a, a one local pub which only opens in the evening well, I don't know I live in a rural area approximately 10 miles out from Ennis there's huge pressure to build houses here and uh, there's a big demand for them. And uh, I, there's no point in comparing us, with due respect, comparing us to Australia or anything else. Ireland, Irish way of life is unique. But is that the way it's going to go? That's what I'm comparing it for. Is that the way uh, the government wanted to I, go, I, that I, we'll I, all I, be I, living I, in I, villages and cities and big towns and rural areas where we'll just be left blank? Well, we just can't, because, I mean, you take our own county at the moment, you can't build a housing scheme even in, in a, outside Indus at the moment, because we're 51 towns and villages don't have a wastewater treatment system. I mean, we've got to press the reality button for the moment and see what's happening. And you, when you say about building a house, is that a one-off house or a housing estate? A one-off housing. One-off Not, house. nothing, I, that would include a housing estate mm. within rural villages. And you would welcome that, though? I, ser- I certainly would. Yeah. And we have to realise that uh, the farmer's sons and daughters still have a heritage uh, connection. The kids want to go to the local school. We have a lower crime rate in rural Ireland than we have in urban areas. No disrespect to the urban areas. We don't have the same social problems and so on and so forth. And again, I say, reality button, please. And when we speak about one-off housing there and a housing estate in a village, would you be happy if the local council, for example, that they, they sort the, the wastewater facility there and they say, we can't have one-off housing, but you can all live in this brand new housing estate we're building? No, no, no. I mean, no. you have to realise that the amount of farmers that you have in any county, farmers live adjacent to their work or on the site of their work. And as I mentioned earlier, they tried that in Switzerland in the 80s and it backfired badly on them. 
So you you want things to remain as they are, really, with one-off housing. If, if there's a new housing state in the village, fair enough, but you don't want the, the, the planning laws to say, no, you can't build a one-off house two miles outside a certain village. We're building a housing estate. You can buy a house there. And that's what you're afraid will happen with this, as, as you describe the population allocation. That is right, and it's going to compound all types of social problems. We're looking at the small picture. We've got to look at the picture the big picture. We've got to look into the future, see what is going to be there, see what is desirable, see what is attainable and work to that objective. And would you say when you mentioned that it's a hidden agenda by the government to face out rural communities, a lot of people are saying, you know, rural Ireland, it's not totally forgotten when we see the investment in the national broadband scheme, even though civil servants did not want this to go ahead. The government TDs kept pressing ahead with this. Uh, would you say at least there's a sign of investment in regards for rural Ireland? That is the contradiction. I mean, here in my own area at the moment, I see a lot of people working from home. Mm. They're working from farmers' houses and so on. I mean, some of the farmers bury civil servants and so on and so forth. And uh, this thing is, ta- is taking its place. And COVID has an impact. There is a return, in my view, to rural Ireland, to rural values and so on and so forth. No, you're right. Yeah, it has. It definitely has, Peter. We've seen that ourselves here. It has brought people back uh, to their areas. And as you say, you know, the broadband scheme is there, uh, but yet they won't let people build one-off houses. So it probably does make sense that it is a conflict. And But, you, you know, saying all of this, you're a Fianna Fáil councillor. I mean, have you said this to your party leaders as Fianna Fáil are one of the parties in government? Ah, uh, well, I mean, uh, they're occupationally dead for anyway, I think. I mean, they listen to civil servants, not on the ground. So you feel they've lost touch with those who are voting for them on the ground and also those who work yeah, for them on the, the ground un, like un, you? Unfortunately, unfortunately, the Jonjos, that is the senior civil servants of this country, are handling the whole scenario. Our TDs and senators are collecting their expenses and coming around with Christmas taps to us. So when people run about voting for change, you feel there won't be any change because the civil servants run the country. So no matter what party goes in, it doesn't make a difference. But they actually are on the country. That is, that's unfortunately, we had a few ministers in the past. I won't mention any names. Who left their imprint, but the majority, at the moment, are handled by Janjo, and with the Janjo in every department. Okay, well, John Joe seems to be running the country. Anyhow, at a time, listening to your descriptions there, PJ, we'll wait and see what happens. A lot of people on text agreeing with what you were saying and worried for the future of planning in rural areas. One example here is from, this is from Anne, who says, my daughter is looking for planning at the moment in an area of Cork. We're born and raised there. She did leave for 10 years, but due to work reasons to work in a nearby city. Uh, now she is back again, but she can't get planning because she is not considered local yet all her family are living in the area and we are here for years and it's our own land but we cannot uh, get planning for her we've gone three times already and been refused and everything is within the documentation the house isn't you know the way sometimes they come back and they say the house isn't within the, the nature of the area it is so uh, there's one example PJ from someone who yeah, was born well, and reared uh, one of the new proposals at the moment is and I'm facing it here in my own county mm. is that a farmer would not be recognised as a farmer except he exceeds uh, 20 hectares, which is 42, 43 acres. Now, if we look at the remote part of Clare, that means approximately 30% of them would not be regarded as farmers, and their children will not be regarded as farmers' children. 
and that will have a huge knock-on effect over the next few years. Uh, Peter, for the moment, I'll leave it there. Uh, a lot of people, as I say, are agreeing with you in some regards to, especially in the, the planning issue is really uh, having a problem or causing problems for people right across, not only here in Cork, but obviously where you were as well in Clare. Thanks, Peter, for speaking to us this okay, morning and raising those concerns. Sloan, take care. That is a PJ Kelly there. He's a councillor based in West Clare. Uh, do you agree with what he is saying there? Uh, his fear in relation to planning uh, for the future of rural Ireland, given now, as we touched on, many people are moving back to where they were born and raised. Your views are welcome on 0818 103 103. Bernie takes those. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And on the way next, we're going to hear why parents are being urged to learn more about the online world so they can ensure their children are kept safe to win online. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818 103 103. Parents and guardians are being told to learn about the online web when preparing their children and ensuring they are safe when accessing the internet. Alex Cooney is Chief Executive from CyberSafe Kids and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Alex. Good morning. And thanks for joining us. I mean, you recently launched the same rules apply, which I actually love because basically the rules we apply in the offline world, for example, if you're out in the street or in a playground, you will keep an eye on your child. We should do the same then when it comes to the online world. That's right. Yeah. So we're, we're, we launched this campaign this week and we're hoping to build on it over time because we really want to highlight that difference. The fact that we do so much to protect our children and prepare our children for the for their, for their future lives in the offline world, you know, whether it's teaching them to ride a bike or cross the road safely or swim or, you know, be safe around things in the kitchen. You, you know, we do all of these things and we were parented on it. So it's kind of an easy transition to then parent our children on it. But we need to start applying that same approach to online parenting because our kids are, are going places online. They're seeing things online. They're in adult environments online. And, you know, they're not necessarily, in our experience, getting the support and the uh, supervision supervision and the preparation that they need to make sure that they're, I, I guess, smart and safe online, which is what we want. And what do you say to parents then who say, I never grew up with the internet or computer, so I don't understand this. And a lot of us would not have initially grown up. I mean, we had secondary school, but not in primary school, maybe. Uh, so what do you say to parents who have that attitude when they really supposed to need to learn fast of what is happening on the web, considering their children are on the web? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely true. We, you know, I, I grew up in that generation. We didn't, we didn't see computers until I went to secondary school. But, you know, that, the, the world has evolved and, and it's changed and we, and we need to ensure that wherever our kids are, that we, we, we have a, a sense of that, of where they're going and what they're doing and what they're seeing, especially when they're young, because this is all about that preparation for when they're older, when they hit their teens, when they're going to need more privacy and independence. So I think it's, it, the message is really we, we're going to have to embrace this new world and we're going to have to embrace the technology. Our children are using it. Uh, you know, we, we know from our own data that 93% of the children that we've surveyed, so this is 4,000 children aged between 8 and 12, uh, 93% of them have their own smart device. 84% of them were already signed up to at least one social media account. So, you know, in many ways, this, this movement has already happened. It's only going to increase as, as, as time goes on. So we're saying to parents and carers, you know, it's time, we really need to get on board and, and to support our kids wherever they are, whether it's offline or, uh, or online. 
and you mentioned there about smartphones many children do have them but a lot of the parents will somehow anyhow can control what apps are downloaded on those smartphones and they can see the usage that their child does or even what they watch on a smartphone but then other parents are unaware of how to do this so there's a learning curve there because it's not all about logging on to a computer or a PC apps are now playing a huge part as well for children Absolutely and you know, as a parent who just gave my oldest child her first smartphone last week, so she's in sixth class, um, and I'm, I'm doing it now because I'm trying to prepare for the way for secondary school, you know, I had to sit down myself and kind of put, put, up, put on the parental controls on, on, on the device to make sure it's connected to mine and, and, and agree some of the ground rules and some of the, the things that we were going to do moving forward. And I need to be really consistent. So, you know, I, I totally understand this is something else that we have to embrace as parents, but it is absolutely essential that we do. And, you know, parental controls can be fantastic, and we would urge parents to certainly use them when, they're, when their children are younger in particular. But we also need to be ensuring that we are having the conversations, making sure it's really normal to talk about what children are seeing and doing online, um, that we're setting some ground rules around use. So, for example, one of the things that we, we hear from schools a lot is that children are coming into the classroom in the morning tired. And, you know, they're putting that down to them being in their bedrooms late at night on their devices, be it for gaming purposes or watching videos or movies or chatting to friends. You know, they and certainly I, I've seen that in my in my daughter's peer group as well. You know, some kids will be up later and have, have the devices clearly in the bedroom. So I think simple rules like, you know, keeping them out of the bedroom so that they don't interfere with sleep, which, you know, obviously kids need for, for their healthy lives. You know, we, we can put these ground rules in place and stick to them and, you know, ensure that our kids have a safe, positive experience, but also have clear a clear uh, online, offline balance. And also maybe if the, if the speaking to the child doesn't work out as well, I mean, I know you can, with some networks anyhow, have a situation where you can have the Wi-Fi set, switched off for, for different people who use the Wi-Fi in the evening. So the Wi-Fi can, for example, cut off at 9pm, for example. And depending on the plan your child is on, and I hope people aren't playing big, huge plans for them to have every kind of a data access ever. Uh, but if they if they are, then that's a, another conversation for another day on, on giving your, your, your child a data plan when they really shouldn't have a data plan, I suppose, at a young age but Wi-Fi, switching off the Wi-Fi, that would be another consideration parents could use? Absolutely. And, you know, you can also do it, switch it. So the things you can do at the kind of network level with your with, which, with whatever network provider you're mm. using, and they'll have information about how you can enable parental controls at that level. You can do it at device level, which is really helpful uh, as well. And you can so you can turn off, like from my daughter's phone, it turns off at 9 o'clock in the evening, for example, and you can also do it at app level. You know, there are parental controls in different apps as well. So there's loads of support that we can use to, to, to help us as parents and carers in, in, in protecting our kids. But, you know, it's about, I suppose, informing yourself as a parent. There's loads of great advice out there. You know, we've got our website, cybersafekids.ie forward slash same rules apply. So this which has the campaign video as well as the support resource. And we're hoping to build on that, as I said, over time and produce more videos with the same good messaging. So, you know, and there's plenty of other good. There's webwise.ie, there's common sense media, which is fantastic if you if you want to check out kind of age-appropriate games or, or movies for your children. So, you know, really good advice out there. And I'd urge parents to, to get on board and start embracing being a digital parent because that's, that's where, you know, we live in the digital age now. True. And, you know, that's the way it's going to go forward for a while. So whatever we do, as you mentioned earlier, in an offline world, we need to consider that as well in the online world. For the moment, Alex, thanks for joining us this morning. Thank you.
That is Alex Cooney there, Chief Executive from Cyber Safe Kids. And I think good points of information there regarding nighttime phones, uh, but also the fact that we just need to be more aware of what is happening online, as you will be if you're out and about with your child. Our lines are open 0818 103 103. Bernie taking your comments. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And coming up after 11, we're going to hear from a group of Cork parents who have teamed up together to fight for vital child services. They are planning a march next week as they just have had enough on fighting for their children with learning disability needs. And also we'll speak with our GA reporter from McCarthy on how Kerry have agreed to Cork's request to postpone their home and away arrangements and stage their Munster Senior Football Championship semi-final. Plus we'll hear how the Jazz Festival is returning to Ballady Hall. And a lot of calls coming in on our conversation earlier with a councillor PJ Kelly, a West Clare councillor. He feels that the government has a hidden agenda to phase out rural communities as people can no longer uh, really apply for planning for a one-off house, he feels, in some areas and people that do have to jump through hoops uh, to get that actual house planning in the first place. He feels they're moving people into uh, bigger towns and into cities and looking to build housing estate in villages and then moving people off their own land to live then nearby in a village in a housing estate. Uh, Some of the views he brought to us and a lot of people agreeing with what PG is saying there, uh, especially regarding the planning situation uh, first of all, uh, this is from Michael, who was in Castletown Bear. He says, Hi, John Paul. I don't always agree uh, with the Fianna Fáil representative, but I have to agree with your guest that one-off housing is a must in rural Ireland. And yes, success of government's agenda is to wipe it out. It is your given right to build a home on your own ground in the countryside. This is what went on in the north of Ireland. It is something that should be contested in the European Courts of Human Rights, says Michael O'Sullivan in Castle. Town Bear, while Jim says, I do agree with what that councillor is saying, but also they need to look at planning because you just can't build a house anywhere. There are some houses built in rural Ireland that just look observed, and also they're built in the wrong place around corners. People trying to access their homes and they're built on a corner of a road, which is dangerous. So I think they do need to look at planning regulation. Uh, but as regarding your right to build, yes, everybody should be allowed to build in rural Ireland and should be allowed to build a one off house. But Jim feels the planning needs to be looked at more carefully than it was years ago uh, says Jim uh, while Owen has been trying to get planning on his own land uh, and his own farm uh, for the last four years with no luck uh, first of all it was the house wasn't in line with the rest of the houses in the area even though they felt it was they uh, redrew their plans over and over again but every time there is an excuse uh, he's at this stage is looking whether he will continue with the fight or move to a nearby town. That's something that PJ brought up that uh, what is happening that people are uh, giving up really and then moving elsewhere uh, but Owen having no luck with planning over the last four years and then from that situation with the rural Ireland planning to the refugees who are arriving in Mill Street and John is asking people are very generous taking in refugees at the start but many people now are having second thoughts when it becomes a reality so that is why the government maybe are offering Uh, this money uh, they're going to offer uh, for those who wish to take in refugees from Ukraine. Regarding the Green Glens Arena, John says, surely this building is not fit for purpose for this facility. There must be a health and and safety issue. Is there there or, or will it be all okay until something happens? Well, John, I don't know if you missed the interview yesterday 
I'm with Noel Buckley from Mill Street Community Council. We spoke about all of that in length and there's special units that have been built in the last number of weeks. So it's not that they're just lying in the arena. They're actually in special units. Now it's, it's for a temporary measure, but we realise at this stage they will be there longer than, than one or two weeks uh, and more will be arriving. But it's not that they're just lying in the arena. Uh, they actually are in their own units and then they will eat in the main hall. Now the toilets and the showers is a communal facility alright but the rest they have their own living room their own kitchen space so it might sound when we say the Green Glens Arena that they're lying in, in, in the main area there no they're not they have their own units uh, and we did discuss that at length yesterday uh, with Mill Street Community Council but then when it comes to the 400 euros uh, somebody is texting in here saying who in the name of well I won't say the word is going to pay for that things are bad enough in this country as it is to live but looking at this 400 euros a month this is just scandalous who's paying for it well you are because it's the taxpayer who will be paying for this the money is coming from the government and the taxpayer will be paying really for this in our taxes so that's where the money will be coming from and then online safety we spoke with Alex Cooney there from Cyber Safe Kids regarding how people and parents in general need to be more online aware as you would be offline you'd be watching your uh, children if they were in the street or a playground so the same should be done online well Joe in Dumanway on that says why do kids need phones that's why they are losing the ability to communicate and can't hold down a conversation I first saw a computer at work in 1990 I never had a mobile phone back then and kids should not have mobile phones says Joe in Dumanway while Geraldine says my 11 year old has a phone it is a smartphone but we limit the data use so she can only call us at home then we have Wi-Fi and she can use the net at home but again we have two Wi-Fi codes and her one switches off at 8pm my problem is though her friends they are not all the same parents have paid for packages adults would use so they have phone use and they have data use 24-7 now we have access to what our daughter sees but then pressure comes from the friends on why then the friends have internet all the time when they're out after school or wherever they are and she cannot so Geraldine saying digital has brought new nightmares for parents that weren't there in the past thank you Geraldine for that and staying with phones of a different level we spoke earlier and we are looking into this and waiting for three to come back to us on what is happening with the three reception in Bantry uh, this is a texter from Dramina who says hi John Paul do you know if anyone around the Dramina area is having problems with reception from Vodafone I have no signal at home for two weeks but then when I go to Charnival it's working I rang Vodafone a few times but still I have no reception at home I'm in the Dramina area so we'll look into that we will contact Vodafone to see if there is a problem there in Jermina and also we would wait to hear back from the three network regarding what is happening in Bantry. Your views are welcome 0818103103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 but Kerry have agreed to Cork's request to postpone their home and away arrangement and stage their Munster Senior Football Championship semi-final on May 7th at Parky Ring. Our GAA reporter Fimber McCarthy joins me. Good morning to you Fimber. Good morning, JP. Uh, will this end the matter now as the Munster Council last week reiterated their intention to keep the fixture for Fitzgerald Stadium? Yeah, I think it will end the matter. I, I understand that the Munster Council thesis here are due to meet tonight. That's my information and they'll ratify it. And the fact that Kerry have agreed to come to Parkview and will put the matter to bed. I think it's been going on too long. 
and the game is what less than three weeks away and both sides need to focus on the match rather than be distracted by um, events elsewhere but I think it could have been handled better but at least as a, as a resolution I know both sides can get on with get on with the job And this was never a Kerry matter it was really down to Cork and the Munster Council so if this now you feel it will go ahead tonight and will be ratified everything is back to normal then to Parky Ring on May 7th and what about the safety concerns they were having there all along? Well just to reiterate I think there's kind of faults on both sides in this. When when Munster Council fixed the match, they fixed it for Parky Ring, and they just said Parky Ring. They probably should have said subject to certain conditions. Cork County Board, when they were drawn against Kerry initially, probably should have said, lads, we'll forego home advantage sure, because the stadium won't be available, and we'll we get the match back. But look, that's all what under the bridge now. And I do believe, speaking to the chairman of Cork County Board in the last few minutes, um, that the stadium, the capacity of the crowd will go over 11,000 with the remedial works going on and everything should be subject to the safety check which will be passed that the game will go ahead. And that won't affect any arrangements then for the next number of years as this game should have been played in Cork this year anyway? No, it won't. What's happening is that this game, this is a once-off game coming to Cork the arrangement will start again next year and we'll go to Killarney to, 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 the next sequence of matches will start with a, with a trip to Killarney at whatever stage we meet in the championship next year OK we'll, we'll wait and see what the decision later comes out and that will clarify it once and for all very finally Fimber big night tonight in the world of GA the C103 GA Awards with the Rochester Park Hotel uh, they're taking place later so a busy day for you yeah, busy day and one that we all look forward to. A bit later than planned, obviously, JP, with everything that's gone on. And, you know, we're looking forward to this. And we should, we should have a good attendance. Um, we have a special guest whose name we're not going to mention on the radio for obvious reasons. But I think everybody knows who our special guest will be. Uh, but I suggest to emphasize that these awards now kind of combine two years because we had no, we had no award last year, obviously. And we, we honored some of the late county finals that were played early this year or early last year so there's kind of a combination of two years two years um, nominees going into for the overall winner along with the Kieran O'Driscoll Youth Award and the Donnelly Hand Distinguished Career Award so let's hope for a, a good night and a good crowd and we'll back to normal thank God Very good Fimmer we'll enjoy tonight in the Rochester Park and the best of luck to everybody who is up for thank an you. award tonight take care that is our GAA reporter Fimber McCarthy and it looks like that whole tobacco is now being put to bed our lines are open 0818 103 103 and up next we're going to hear from a group of Cork parents who have teamed up together to fight for vital child services they're playing a march also on this because basically they've had enough of fighting continuously for their children's needs and these are children with learning disabilities and they're facing long lists when it comes to waiting lists within the HSC we'll speak to that group next C103 Jobs with Munster Technological University enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full-time part-time and professional courses Succeeding together with mtu.ie. Coonvera Treatment Centre require a staff nurse. You can email your CV to fernands at coonvera.ie. A sales and marketing representative is wanted for the North Cork area. Call 087-756-6524. And a part-time mechanic is wanted for O'Neill's Garage in Cullamon in Bantry. You can call Mike on 087-946-0222. These jobs and more online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs. 
Cork today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Cork campaigners have come together under a new group to support parents of children with disabilities who continue to face long waiting lists for required services. Families Unite for Services and Support, or FUS, is the name of the organisation and Rebecca O'Reardon is the Cork spokesperson and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Rebecca. Good morning. Thanks so much for having us on. Well, thanks for joining us. And I suppose this group is connecting parents who were all experiencing similar hardships. And a lot of this is the imbalance we see across the health service and other services when it comes from either diagnosis or indeed initial assessment. That's it. Um, I suppose this kind of cohort of parents, we're all walking a similar path, but it tends to be, it does tend to be a very varied kind of uh, selection. Um, You know, like... Disability services is a very wide kind of area. It's it's kind of it goes from if your child needs a dyslexia assessment, uh, all the way to your child needing uh, you know equipment services or respite. Um, but unfortunately, things have gotten to a point now. Now they've they've never been good. Uh, let's be fair. You know, it's been a very very long and difficult uh, history within Ireland when it comes to children's disability services and special education provision. But I suppose the combination of the moving to the Progressing Disabilities um, program, which was supposed to improve things, um, has actually made things ten times worse, um, unfortunately. Yeah, and we have heard from parents that when their child maybe went, for example, for speech therapy, and this is no fault now of the therapist or the consultants, but when they go into the room, the either or the consultant or the therapist will be unaware of the background of the child. So then the treatments can be a kind of a one size fits all and may not be suitable for that child, which means they will have to go back again at another stage. But that could involve another number of weeks or months. That's the difficulty. So um, the whole idea with progressing disabilities and the restructuring of the assessment of need was that children were waiting years to get a diagnosis. Then once they got that diagnosis, they may actually age out of the services altogether without ever seeing a therapist. And unfortunately, that was a very common story. Now, what they've been, what they tried to do was get rid of giving a diagnostic assessment. Uh, now, that has since been re- proven to be unlawful. Uh, it went through the courts. And... We are very grateful for that because without a diagnosis, as I'm sure you can imagine, if somebody, you know, getting a diagnosis of undefined disability is of no use whatsoever to anybody. Um, It just, you can't, you can't Google that. You can't find a support group for that. You have no idea what you're dealing with if you get a diagnosis of undefined disability. It is just useless. And unfortunately, those children who did go through the system and who did get that kind of catch-all kind of thing, they would have, you know, even if they were lucky enough, because there was very few children who did, even if they were lucky enough to get in front of a speech and language therapist or an occupational therapist, there was no assessment, with no assessment done, how is that therapist supposed to know what that child's needs are? True, yeah, so, and then, then you're going going in, I suppose, he's or she isn't aware, and then the parents is more frustrated when they go in thinking they'll have some idea, and, and they have no idea. And does that kind of look then back to the school situation? Because a number of years ago, there would have been a commitment of a therapist visiting various schools. Is that something that should return? That's the difficulty. So when they kind of moved over to this progressing disability model, Anything that was working even marginally 
has now been taken away. Even the very small areas that were working in whatever kind of patched together way that they were working, they're gone now. The therapists have been removed from special schools. Um, those therapists that were removed, Anne Rabbit came to a meeting with a, a bunch of parents there recently in Vienna Woods and she informed those parents that she had been given the figure of 14.5 therapists removed from special schools in Cork. The principals of those special schools were there and they said, no, it was 60 therapists that were removed. And Rabbit had been told by the HSE that 5.5 had been returned. Zero have been returned. Big difference there between 14 and 60 and uh, 5 to zero. Yeah, very big difference. Big difference. And all of those children would have been taken off of public waiting lists because they would have been getting those therapies in school. Also, they have to wait to get back on the list then again. Well, the, that would that would even require joined up thinking. Uh, we don't even they're just in no man's land, you know. They really are. A lot of a lot of families are just in they're in no man's land. Nobody seems to understand or know what's going on. There's no accountability, and our children are just sat in the middle of all of it. Of course, it's and the nobody children can tell are losing us what's out. going on. You know, yeah, of course it is. The children are the big ones that are losing out here. And then you mentioned earlier regarding respite and equipment. I mean, we are well aware of people who are waiting for equipment for a number of years. In the end, they end up having to go public and tell their story. And it's unfortunate that people have to go public and tell their story so they can get the equipment they need uh, for their child or their loved one. But that's what they have to do because otherwise they'll be waiting. And that leads then to a GoFundMe page and a fundraiser. And that is seemingly at the moment the only way many people are getting the equipment they need because of the delays in accessing that. And respite, I mean, there's so many stories regarding respite and parents who were just really frustrated, worn out and just can't get a break because there is no respite. That's it. And I mean, it's not it's not it's not like there's just one fix all for all of these things. It, it is complicated. But there are certain things that the HSE could do to make things even marginally better. Like that we should, as a developed country, we should have no difficulty in giving children wheelchairs. I mean, there's just that. I fail to believe that that is a complicated issue. It's very simple. You know, Anne Rabbit paid six and a half thousand euros for a consultation to help her to learn how to engage with parents of disabilities better. That's two paediatric tilt and splace wheelchairs. That's what it comes down to. We have to choose where we spend this money. And no child, no family should have to have a GoFundMe or have to share their stories publicly just to get enough to survive without their ch- child being in constant pain they just they just want to exist without pain and suffering and that is if we can't do that i mean what what are what, what are we as a country really like this issue with respite could be there is definitely staffing issues and they need to address those staffing issues it is understandable there is an entire culture change that needs to happen within the HSE where there's greater accountability but that issue is a little bit more complicated and it's going to take a long time to fix it. However, the issue of access to personal budgets would make a real and significant impact for families accessing respite right now. If you had, if you were able to access that money yourself to get at those pre- to, to get at that respite, you know for sure that those families would be able to access it. But that money isn't the same in the hands of the HSE, and somebody needs to figure out why. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned there regarding the minister, I mean, money being spent on consultants when it could be used or diverted to be spent on equipment would make a huge difference. Rebecca, yourself and this organisation, how did you get or why did you get involved in this? 
Um, well, I I suppose the la- my youngest is um, she's just three, and you know we've had personal dealings with this system in the sense that we were one of the families who took a case against the HSE in relation to the assessment of need because our daughter was diagnosed with an undefined disability. And what that meant was that we couldn't, I mean, we couldn't, you couldn't even go, you couldn't Google it. You, there was no support. There was no services. It, and like my, uh, my own background would be in advocacy. I'm a, I'm a trustee of a small charity Um you know, I'm I'm a student. I'm studying my I'm studying to get my law degree at night. I am very, you know, good at advocacy, and I am good at uh, figuring out these things. And I can't navigate the system with with eight years in this area. I can't navigate it. And I just, who can navigate it if people with that kind of experience can't navigate it? It's intentionally obtrusive. And there are so many children, like, it's, it's, it's so short-sighted to think that we can neglect children so hugely and that we won't have to deal with the consequences of that in 20 and 30 years. Like, children with intellectual disabilities grow up to be adults with intellectual disabilities. They need support. They need to be taught lessons on independence and safe behaviours and just general safety information for navigating their communities. They deserve to navigate their communities in a safe and reasonable way. And that is not, those things don't exist. And And what you're going to have is those three-year-olds are going to grow up to be 25-year-olds. And then who's going to deal, who's going to deal with that? True, and the system you mentioned there, you were experienced in that, but as you mentioned, others would not be. Do you think that's intentional, that they make the system like this so parents get frustrated and just go elsewhere or, or figure they have to go private or go another route? I, I, To be honest with you, I mean, maybe it, I, sometimes I cynically do feel that that is the way, but I think what's much more likely, um, if I take off my cynic hat, <laughs> is that a general... Um, what is more likely is that... They are doing, um, sorry. You're, they, is that your daughter there calling you? Yes, yeah, sorry. What's your daughter's name, so, actually? Uh, Emmeline. So Emily, is Pankhurst. it? Uh, Emmeline. So Emmeline. Like Emmeline. Emmeline. Yeah, name. so just like Emmeline Pankhurst. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, very yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I suppose, like, the difficulty is, like, with progressive disabilities, one of the key points that they were supposed to do was, in 2011, they were supposed to they made it a key policy that, uh, and a key value that family engagement was going to be at the core of everything that Progressing Disabilities was about. And part, because, you know, they're, they're creating the system and they, they're looking at one particular part and then another department is looking at another part and then another department is looking at another part. Whereas families as service users have a unique viewpoint in that we are the only ones who navigate this from start to finish. And we can see that it is completely unnavigatable. With the best will in the world, you can't get from start to finish because I've never seen an obstacle course like it. And I, I think every other parent, there's, there's, no, there's no cohesion. There's no accountability. And that's, that's, a, that's a, for, for, a state, um, for a state entity to 
have less accountability than, you know, your local tidy towns committee. That's very concerning. They're dealing with the most vulnerable members of society and there's no accountability at any point. Yeah, no, it is a disgrace to think that that is the case and it's still that way and the parents have to fight every day in 2022 for their children or indeed any of their loved ones. And because of this frustration that is out there, and I I see it here on calls and texts as well from people who are in similar situations like yourself there, uh, Rebecca and others, you're holding a march. The group is uh, in Cork. It's on Grand Parade and it's on May 6th. What time is this march starting and can anybody come along to show, the first of all, the concerns within all the services and the frustration the parents have? Yes, this is the thing. We're, it's going to be happening at 10am on the Grand Parade in Cork City on May 6th. And what we're, what we're asking is, if you're not affected by this, please still come. Because the reality is that a lot of the people who this affects they don't have the spoons. They just don't. They're too exhausted. They don't have childcare and they couldn't bring their child out to this such an event where it would be, you know, an overwhelming amount of noise or stress or it's just not, it's not something that they can personally navigate or maybe they just, you know, are feeling a little bit hopeless and, you know, there are a lot of families out there who are and we just want to say, we hear you, we see what you're going through and we're here and we're ready to we're ready to stand up for you because we have tried everything else. We have tried to be nice. We have tried to email. Uh, you know, we've tried emailing. We've tried calling. We've tried begging politicians. We've tried begging the services. We've tried making formal complaints. We've tried going through the courts. What's left but to get out on the street and make a fuss? And unfortunately, yeah. And that's what it takes. I mean, I mentioned there regarding the other parents we've spoken to over the years who have had to go public and set up GoFundMe pages. This is the other alternative as well as just to go out and shout and hopefully someone will listen and, and address the issues. Uh, Rebecca, that's on May the 6th, the Cork Marches in Grand Parade at 10am. The very best of luck to you with that and we'll stay in touch. If people want to get in contact, have you, you have a Facebook group uh, that they can contact via FOSS Ireland, is that correct? We do. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and we have our own website as well, fussireland.com. And you can get in contact and just say, look, I want to I want to get involved in Cork. I want to get involved in Dublin. If you're not in either of those, hey, start up your own. Let's just get it going, you know? True. Yeah, I, I get, get voices heard. <laughs> exactly. Get going. <laughs> get voices heard for that. <laughs> I'll leave you. Get back to Emmeline there and our regards to your daughter and everybody involved in First Ireland. And I'm sure we, we'll speak again in the future. The best of luck anyhow on the May the 6th. Perfect. Thank you so much. Take care. Rebecca O'Reardon there from First Ireland, which is Families Unite for Services and Support. And they're organising their protests, as you heard, they're due to the frustration and all those families who just simply can't access services. And when they do, they're thrown around in various hoops. And Ross on text 0862103103 says, this country is more twisted than a corkscrew, a sinful waste of money, and no one is ever accountable. I think a lot of people would agree with you there, Ross. You can call Bernie 0818103. 103. And on the way, we're heading to Ballady Hub because the Jazz Festival returns to Ballady Hub this coming May Bank Holiday weekends. But what is planned? We'll find out next. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 0818103103. And it's JP with you right through until one with Cork Today and the Ballady Hub Jazz Festival. It returns at this May Bank holiday weekend and Joe O'Leary from the Jazz Festival joins us. A very good morning to you, Joe. Good morning, JP. You're in the hot seat. In the hot seat for this week, yeah. And you're on the hot seat over the next few weeks. You'll have a, a busy weekend. 
<laughs> the jazz yeah. festival last year were you able to have the festival last year we were kind of in semi restrictions around this time i think last year we were so for that it's been it's been an unusual tough couple of years but we have run aspects of it through the last couple of years so we did a mural project and we did a little parade at halloween um, but the, the general Maybank Holiday Weekend Festival didn't happen. But what we did was we recorded a lot of bands and we made sure we kept employing both uh, crew and bands and just keeping them interested and keeping them playing, you know, because it it's been the hardest couple of years ever for artists. Because like, it's one thing not getting, you know, the artists struggle in general in terms of making a living. But then when they can't even get to do what they do, whether it's for a living or for free, you know, that that's destroying exactly what they're all about, you know. So we tried to do kept kept doing things over the last couple of years. And I think it's paying off now because there's a lot of goodwill from both artists and crew here that we can do a physical one. So we're very excited about it. Yeah. And a lot of people are very excited to get back out again and see live music. And one of the performers this year, very well known, it's Karen Underwood. Yeah, it's taken a couple of years to get her down, maybe a decade. <laughs> <laughs> but she's coming and she's very excited about it. Karen is a wonderful, wonderful woman and wonderful performer. Um, she works an awful lot with mental health and mental wellness. And we're just delighted to get her down like with her full band. So that's great. Yeah, she's on the Friday night in, in the hall. And something else, which is always a fun event, but a lot of people talk about this, the Moonshine Shindig. Is that going to make a comeback this year? It's certainly, that's on the Saturday and the Sunday this year in the community hall. We dress it up as a kind of 19, 1920s, 1930s jazz club. A lot of dancers uh, come in and like no matter what level of jazz dance you're at, you know, everyone's welcome and it's just great crack. Um, we have actually dance instructors coming in from both Sweden and uh, Slovenia this year, which is amazing, you know, um, and they're some of the best in Europe. So it's really exciting. And then they'll be doing lessons on the Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, even for beginners. And they'll be also doing master classes. And then you can show show off your wares then later on that night in, oh. in the club. In the morning, so you can get the lessons in the morning and then really show off what you've learned. Really and it all, it all goes OK after a couple of drinks as well in the shindig. <laughs> that can help a little bit, yeah. <laughs> now, the jazz parade, because that always does attract a, a huge crowd. And I know you've done aspects of that, as you mentioned, uh, over the last few years. But is, is it going to be bigger than ever now that things are, are somewhere back to normal? Yeah, it, this year, everyone wants to be involved in it. Like, we, we've, we've very much an open door policy in the Valley of Jazz Festival. If you have an idea and if it's feasible, we'll, we'll, go, we'll roll with it, you know, and try it out. And most stuff does work if you have that attitude. So, like, we have can-can uh, dancers coming this year. There was, a, there, there was salsa dancers and can-can dancers that were just had their own little clubs in the local area. And we said, yeah, let's join in. So it's going to be uh, much more kind of Mardi Gras uh, this year. Um, even though the jazz funeral aspect of it, the New Orleans jazz funeral aspect will still be there, but it's going to be very much, uh, you know, an, an, a celebration. So like we're calling it the Bones of Aldi Hub this year because there's going to be skeletons and stuff, but we're actually asking people, anyone listening in, um, for the kids to dress up as skeletons or just even wear a bit of black or any color and just draw on skeletons, you know, keep it really simple. <laughs> we used to put on the old uh, black bin liner before, like, so you could even do that. And just join in, you know, as as the parade passes. So and where did that idea come from, Joe? The bones of Ballad Hub and the skeleton idea. Well, every, every year we try to tweak the theme, and I suppose the bones of Ballad Hub, like our our idea is, it plays on the trombones as well, like you know, oh, brass yeah. in jazz, and also like we have three 
We have more than three giant puppets that were made locally by a local Ballyhaw puppet company. And there is talk that they might be on the way out. They might be retiring this year um, and allowing a space for something else to be created potentially this year. So they've done a lot of time. So Katrina and Diego are the names of the puppets and their little baby child who's who's now a teenager this year. Um, so I don't want to give away too much. <laughs> you ruined the surprise. surprise. There's a little surprise at the end, so I don't want to give away too much. But it, it, it probably will be their final year. So there might be a waving them off into the sunset situation. Okay. <laughs> okay, well, they'll, be, they'll be heading off. And I mean, that's always a fantastic event. The colour on the streets and, and the way it looks is, is just unreal. But you mentioned there about trying new things over the years. One of those was poetry. And that has evolved, hasn't it, into the festival as time went on and again this year? Yeah, spoken word in Ireland is, is at a very strong point. A couple of years ago, it was maybe struggling a bit and you'd like to Stephen James Smith and a few others really trying to push it and elevate it to the art form it is. But like this year, by now, it's it's got very, very strong. Like we've amazing. Uh, we've Julie Gu, Katie Nivahuna, Michelle Delee, Paulo Colomon, who lives here now locally, which is amazing, out of Working Artist Studios, Carl Holden and David Jackson. So we're, they're going to do a poetry slam up in Working Artist Studios which is only open the last two years and very artist friendly and they do a lot of workshops and stuff. So, yeah, very excited about that because the first time adding the poetry site properly, you know, we've always always had someone who popped up and do did a poem, but we're actually going to do a slam like there will be an hour and a half of poetry straight through like and it'll be it's very contemporary and very engaging poetry. And there's a good bit of Gaelic as well as Berla there. Yeah, so, you know, plenty, a plenty mixture there in that side of things. And, and overall, I mean, when we say jazz, we just described that there's a lot going on other than jazz itself. So people have this yeah. impression that it is just jazz. There's, there's so no. much, so much going on because you touched on it there at the start as well, Joe, about the murals you have in Ballady Hub and the new series this year, adding to this, the micro mural exhibition. And that's coordinated by Shane O'Driscoll of the Ardu Street Art Project. I mean, Shane's, yeah. uh, what he does in his art is just fantastic isn't it it's phenomenal like Shane is an international artist like at this stage and like he's done he's curated himself and uh, and a couple of colleagues have curated Ardu in Cork the last couple of years and like they've done massive scale like four or five story remember the Cork Hurler there's there's just brilliant work there and they've got some of the best people around the world coming in to work with them so like uh, Cork City Council have got behind them there on that we're doing it on a, on a smaller scale literally because we're a smaller village and it's harder to get maybe people to commit giving a whole wall like a whole gable to a yeah. mural whereas it's easier to get so that's why we went to want to do with the micro mural uh, project so it's like a panel of a door or a small little square uh, like something the size of a small window or so you know it's it's going to be smaller and you'll have to kind of go search them out a bit um, and we're only starting starting now we we started last year with a slightly larger piece eight by eight um, and it's on the entrance to the wall and it was called the third wave so it played into at the time the third wave of COVID was there I think we're I think we're after about 27 waves at this stage <laughs> but it was musicians actually it depicted musicians playing brass trying to row a small boat through torrential uh, rain and waves coming from the fastness uh, under the watchful eye of a gannet. So it was, it was really interesting to see what artists come up with. That was Anthony Ruby's piece. And it, we're just delighted Shane is kind of living in the area now, Shane O'Driscoll. So he was delighted to get involved and like just the people he knows and the quality is just going to be superb. But that's going to run throughout the year. And you kind of touched on it there. 
like we're involved now, myself and Carly and my missus are involved in the jazz here in Ballet Hall for about seven years. And we tried to, over the years, just try to keep expanding it so it's more of an arts festival per se, with jazz being the predominant music in it, but with like the poetry slam, music trails, New Orleans jazz parade, dance workshops, the mural, the craft fair, you know, even this year there's jazz flower crown workshops where people will make uh, crowns of flowers and stuff for to join in the parade. So we've just tried to make it much more engaging um, for the community and it's worked really to an extent. Well, we hope it'll work this year, but it has worked up to 2019. Like we got massive crowds in 2019 like I think something between five and six thousand people through the town over the three four days you know yeah no and, and is, it is you know, it's a huge benefit to the area not only Ballady Hall but the entire Mizzen area and West Cork oh, area shoot. because it's as you say you're evolving it and to keep something alive you have to evolve it whether people agree or not you just have to because otherwise you know it can get stale <laughs> so you, you must keep driving on, on. <laughs> yeah you have to really and you mentioned the food and craft markets there they're back this year they also are, are a huge draw uh, to Ballady Hall so it's it's on the Maybank holiday weekend. I think that is the 29th of April to the 2nd of May this year. And you yeah. can get more information on BellityHobbitJazzFestival.org. And before I let you go, Joe, of course, you're known from Levi's Bar there in Bellity Hub as well. How is business now since things have, have opened up for you over the last few months? Because oh. while music artists were tough, you also had a tough. We, yeah, no, it was very, very tricky. To be honest, without the supports that we got from the, the government mainly and Cork County Council to a lesser extent. Without them, I don't think any place would have survived, you know. Mm. Um, so we've survived and now we're trying to thrive again. It's been actually very interesting since we re- reopened. We're kind of only open on a part-time basis at the moment, like three to four days a week max. Um, and we've been doing gigs again and, you know, we're after Baldy Hub's Great for Festivals, we're after the Trad Festival. Um, two weeks back, then we had Easter last week, and in a week's time we have the jazz. So they all give it a real boost, as you say, to both the village and also the, the surrounding area. Like because people stay in Skull, Bantry, Skibbereen, you know, it's 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 huge, um, and it's been good. Like with with Cormac Begley of the the West Kerry Begleys uh, playing uh, a week and a half ago, and it was amazing. And we had some just amazing musicians back in just to hear just to hear music in the building flowing freely and seeing the audience smiles in the audience's faces it's just it's class like and I'm really hoping the jazz will do exactly the same because we have like people coming in from 13, 14 countries this year which is phenomenal and for some of them it's their first time in Ireland and imagine you fly into Cork or Dublin Airport and the first place you actually get to rest your legs is Ballady Hub it's a real uh, for me it's a lovely way of seeing Ireland you know you get to see the real old Ireland uh, with, with it, I suppose a contemporary twist you know? Yeah, well, but you you will see the the beauty and the and, and the scenery driving towards Ballady Hub if they land at the Cork Airport. I mean, they'll really see it all as they make their way. Uh, Joe, the very best of luck to you. Do you hope to open full time then with the bar across the summer months when things pick up, or, yeah. or what's the plan? Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, as the summer hits, we'll we'll we could justify being open. But at the moment, um, you know, I think people are finding their feet again. You know, um, yeah. some people are scared to come out. A, a lot of the, the much older generation are still a little bit frightened to come out because they're worried because, you know, COVID's around there. It's something mm. we're trying to live with now, but it is still around. You know, there's not a day go by that you don't hear someone somewhere in a circle getting it, you know. So, um, you know, you don't want the vulnerable um, to get it. Like, Yeah, understandably. And, totally. Yeah. You yeah. know, but it's great that we're open and it's actually very important that we're open, like because the other model of locking us all up just for mental health was not 
was not the way forward, like long term, you know. No, and short term, things had to change. Yeah, short term, so, fine. You know, I, do, I do think, I do think we'll open, and Baldyhall is rocking. There's, there's going to be five or six eateries there, this summer. There's going to be five or six bars playing with with music in nearly all the bars nearly every weekend. It's going to be amazing summer. I really hope so. <laughs> once, once nothing else goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully nothing else goes wrong, and hopefully the sun will shine. And uh, across the Maybank holiday weekend, and across the entire summer, it's the Baldy Hub Jazz Fest on the Maybank holiday weekend Joe the very best of luck to it thanks JP thanks for having me en- on enjoy it and uh, we'll have to pay a visit again the last time we had an outside broadcast it was in Skibbereen and you me and the entire crew oh. at midday uh, were tasting whiskey now I think the interviews after midday were actually the best interviews we did for a long while so we might encourage that again in the future but for the moment Joe have a great time in the jazz we'll have to- Thanks a million. Take care. We'll have to wander down. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Uh, that is Joe O'Leary there uh, from Baddity Hub. The Baddity Hub Jazz Festival uh, that takes place on the Maybank holiday weekend. Check it out. Their website again is baddityhubjazzfestival.org. So much uh, to experience there over the Maybank holiday weekend. Cork today on Till One. Bernie taking your comments now on phone 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. And just returning to a number of comments that came into us across the morning but first of all uh, what's up from a uh, councillor Declan Hurley in relation to passports and this might be a word of advice to people who are maybe waiting or trying to renew a passport but this could be a first time application as well and Declan says that he has been inundated with requests about new passport applications or some that are renewing theirs and not doing it online but doing it via post but one issue that he is coming across is applicants getting consent forms witnessed by local Gardee. He says, please make your listeners know that if the Garda station is not 24 hour so if it's not one of those 24 hour Garda stations or a Garda that has witnessed the consent form is of duty applications are being refused because the passport office can't verify the applicant and new consent forms have to be resubmitted resulting in the applications being delayed. So Declan's advice is try to get someone that can be contacted outside of working hours and also uh, bear in mind the Garda station you're going to if it's uh, one of those regional Garda stations that might be only open for eight hours a day or something but not a 24-hour Garda station. So just bear that in mind. That's from Councillor Declan Hurley. Now, earlier on, we spoke with Rebecca and Foss Ireland, the group that have come together, uh, a group of parents that have come together as they fight for vital child services. They're basically frustrated and they've had enough of their children with learning disabilities waiting and waiting and waiting to access services within the HSE and a number of people are reacting to this first of all uh, Texer here says Hi JP I totally agree with that girl as a carer myself we just have to keep fighting for our children I think disability centres should be investigated we get fobbed off when we ask questions and there is no accountability and yet they get funding for our children but I wonder where the money goes says that texter while Mossy says are they the same HSC which tried to deny Vicky Fielding and took her through the courts when they knew they were wrong where is the compassion within our health service and indeed the HSC and on refugees we spoke earlier and we heard from Mill Street again today on those Ukrainian refugees who have moved into the Green Glens Arena in Mill Street and they're settling in fine to the Mill Street area but John is in the city and 
And John's fear is that this refugee thing, as John describes it, is going to turn into direct provision all over again. The politicians need to lead by example. They need to take refugees in, is what John is saying. John is saying that many of the politicians... They all have two, three or four bed houses and he feels there is plenty of room as well in the Auris. So they need to lead by example if they want the public to go along and take refugees into this country. Well, why don't they do that first? People agree with that or not, what John is saying? Do you think all the politicians, some that we have spoken to said they would be looking into this, but do you think they all should and lead by example? Uh, your views are welcome. John feels they should anyhow. And Joe is in Kilmallock. Joe lives alone. He has three spare bedrooms and three bathrooms. And he has offered his home for refugees to the Red Cross in Dublin. And he has heard nothing back yet. Now, there are no refugees, he says, so far in the Kilmallock area, as far as he knows anyhow. And there's loads of empty buildings in the area. And Joe, you're not alone. We've had calls from other people who have pledged that they will take someone from Ukraine fleeing war uh, into their home when they haven't heard anything back as yet. Now many are saying they're still working through the process and that you will receive a call or you may have received an email and some people have received emails they thought that they hadn't received them they had but they went into the different boxes in your if you have for example Gmail the social and promotion box or spam so uh, maybe just double check them but then there is people who have checked all of those boxes and they haven't received any information back from the Red Cross so while now the government are looking at offering money around 400 euros to entice people to take those refugees into their home you have a situation now as Joe says in Kilmallock where he has and he's heard nothing and others have been the same uh, thank you Joe for your call to Bernie on 0818103103 on WhatsApp to 0862103103 and is asking hi John Paul how do you register for the fourth booster and can you get it in your local pharmacy well this information and has just come Uh, to us in the last few minutes uh, that uh, people aged 65 years and over are now eligible for their second COVID-19 booster vaccine and also those with a weak immune system aged 12 or over can also get their second booster. You can do so booking online for appointments at HSC vaccination centres is now open and you can also check in with participating GPs and pharmacies that they will begin giving second boosters in the coming weeks. So check in, I would say, Anne, with your local pharmacy or wherever you got your boost or whatever pharmacy you got at the last time around and they will have information. Now the vaccination centres will be starting this from today so appointments you can make an appointment now today online and that's if you wish to go to a vaccination centre but Anne if you mentioned there the pharmacies it will be another few weeks before they carry out the second booster but just check in with your local pharmacy they'll take your details uh, and they will be coming to GPs and pharmacies in a number of weeks but from today you can go along and book online though at hsc.ie uh, for appointments at the HSC vaccination centre so hopefully that helps you there Anne on WhatsApp and an email that came in to us yesterday afternoon and this uh, was regarding our conversation yesterday on roads and potholes across the Cork area and this is from a Skibberine listener who says Hi John Paul there are hundreds of cars on the roads in West Cork without mud flaps when it is raining and travelling behind one of these cars or vans your windscreen is spattered and your bonnet is also but this is very annoying and very dangerous Uh, this listener says that mud flaps should be regarded as part of the body of your car who would buy a car with, say, two wheels or a part of the engine 
missing. The policy should be no car out of the garage forecourt without mud flaps. It should be necessary to ask the garage to fit mud flaps with your purchase, says that Skibbereen listener. So we, Bernie, when we were reading this uh, during the news there at midday, uh, Bernie went out and checked the car park here of uh, C103. And would you believe, Skibbereen listener, uh, none of the cars have mud flaps. Some of them, uh, some people were wondering are they built in? I don't know if, if anybody's in the know. Can you build in mud flaps? Is that why the newer vehicles don't have mud flaps? But the only uh, car or Jeep in the car park here at C103 that had mud flaps was our engineering Jeep. And that's one of those big utes, if you want to call it, one of those big Jeeps. Uh, because they obviously are up and down the mountains uh, across Cork to service and look after all the transmitters which broadcast our signal. So the engineering Jeep has the mud flaps, but none of the other cars do. Uh, so that answers your question. Is that something we need to look at then when you're leaving the garage? Is there such a thing as mud flaps built in or not? I am not too sure. Maybe someone's in the know. Let us know. Uh, Bernie taking those calls 0818 103 103 or text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Mike is asking, do you know when we are getting the fuel allowance next. Well, Mike, we did discuss this earlier in the week. It's um, going to be, I think, €99 Euros of a lump sum the government are going to pay out due to the rising energy costs in this country. They have not as yet given an exact time frame. They have said the middle of May and that would indicate the 15th, 17th, 18th or so of May uh, but they haven't given an exact date as yet but it will be coming and when they give us the date we will let you know. Now on yesterday's show we had a number of calls in from people in Formoy who had concerns over the new dedicated space for caravans, not caravans, campervans and uh, motorhomes to park in the town of Formoy. They were moving them from one area to another. They feel that the new area isn't suitable, it's on the side of a road and we got a number of calls on this. We'll go back to this more detail on Monday's show but uh, we'll touch on it now because Kieran Donovan is vice chair of the Phoenix Motorhome Club he's also a founding member of that club and he joins me this afternoon good afternoon to you Kieran. Uh, good afternoon, JP. How are you? I'm fine, and thanks for joining us. Now, this came up yesterday because, first of all, a number of people who have camper vans or motorhomes came to Fermoy and they wanted to park, but there was 16 cars parked within the designated camper van spaces. Now they're moving those spaces to a new location, and many feel, you know, they're on the side of the road. They're not ideal for camper vans. Is this something? Because you obviously are in the know, well, and you're I part know, of the hub. Is this something you come we, across we, a lot? No, it's totally unsuitable. Uh, plus, I've heard on very good authority that the road has been narrowed by half a metre because of the placing of those those there. And to which there's two factories just above that road. That's a busy road. Now, it might be suitable for daytime parking, for vans, but that's all. There's, there's no one going to spend the night there on a live road to be too dangerous. You know, motorhome parking, no, just to make a point, motorhome parking campers Campervans, they're the same vehicle category as a car. So technically, we can park anywhere a car can park. Now, parking is parking. You know the way some people come out without chairs and tables. That's not what we want. Like dedicated motorhome parking is what what's needed. Like what they had above the place there, and maybe services. And we've no problem paying for the for having it because cost. Right, like the cove there now. The first year they started, they made twenty thousand euros. Ten or a night have dedicated bylaws that you can pay 24, 48 hours or 72, whatever the council decide. And um, and was that, it, sorry, was that was that a designated area there in Cove? Designated area, 30 parking bays, they pay a t- 10 or a night. You, there's a machine, you 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 pay the machine, you can pay by card or pay with cash. Uh, well, 10 or 24 hours, sorry. 
and um, maximum stay for the eight hours. They have a place to, with fresh water for grey water and for black water, which would be your estate. And um, uh, that's full nearly all the time during the summer. Uh, lately, they are, we advised in that. We also advised in Dungarvan, right? Now, this is new. They put in nine bays. Now, I'll just put something for any council that want to listen. There is a, a scheme called the Outdoor Recreational Infrastructural Scheme, right? They gave money to Dungarvan to set that up. I have a link now if the council wants to come back to me or anyone in that that I can give them. And um, Dungarvan got a big shell for money for that. And, um, you know, but where they are, and 60 euros per head per day is what a camper van, people in camper van spend. They are official statistics. I have them there, and they want to see them. And uh, mostly older people, not a problem to anywhere. Twice. I just like to have a safe place. Uh, like, ideally, if you put dedicated spaces, the council put dedicated spaces, you don't have to have your, your waste disposal or anything in the same place. could be in a council yard or something like that. But ideally not on the live road. Where it was originally on the hill there was a lovely spot, lovely quite short walk into town. And, um, I mean, like, shifted them out to the the other spot there, like, you might well shift the car, so it's have to be the same difference. You know what I mean? Yeah, and many people were making the point yesterday on text that how would you sleep at night time if you're parked on the side of a road? You, you look, you're liable to be broken into too when you're on a live road. People can get out of it fast and whatever. You know, a lot, lot, a lot of the people that have more room are elderly people. And on top of that, like, you know the price of them and you just want to look after them, you know. Yeah, and you mentioned there when they when those people within their motorhomes arrive to a town that the economy will be boosted up because they on average spend about sixty euros per head. I, so I it is it is worth to have a facility like this oh, in the is, town. Yeah. I'll give you another statistic now. Greg the man in Kilkenny, I don't know if you know it or not, is um I think to the community council they have a they have um a kind of a, a room and they're parking for thirty uh, no, sorry, fifty campers. And since they opened, apart from the money that the community council made they reckon it's after bringing 1.5 million into the town. And that's not a very big town now, I might add. It wouldn't be decided for my... That's a huge sum of money to be brought huge in. Huge sum of money. And we statistics like that from all over Europe for anyone that wants to see them. And uh, like this year, we're going to be flooded with vents. Now, I also find out that any campsite you go to now, uh, just more statistics there, 20,000 registered campers in Ireland, 15,000 taxed at the minute, right? Campsites have only parking for 4,000. So uh, uh, we're different with Caravan then again in that mm. we can park anywhere. You know, once you just park on your four wheels and you think you're legal anywhere that says parking and you fit properly and you don't upset other people. But we don't want to do that, as I say, because you're not safe and you're upset people. But if there's a dedicated area, no problem whatsoever paying 10 or for, uh, and even if you have the facilities, maybe five or six euros a night just to park. You know, that's, and it will bring money to towns and like for my is a crossroads between a heap of places you know what I mean yeah and the last thing as you mentioned there there is fine parking spaces or car parks in Fermoy that wouldn't be in very busy areas and you could park there as you mentioned but then you don't want to be asleep in bed and feel that you're not safe because you're not in a designated zone but if you are in a zone then you you, you, you feel you'll be safer another option in like what they've done in Middleton uh, Middleton the car park over the distillery you might know it 
that is a dedicated, well, it's not a dedicated parking area. They have services there and you can park your motor home there. But you so would no, feel safer in a designated area than you would in an open car park, a normal car park. Well, that's dead safe. Depends on where it is. If it's in a quiet part yeah. of the town and there's no problems and no yobbers around your grass. You know, it's, uh, but down there, that's quite safe. And what happens there is all the cars are gone at six o'clock. You come in there after six. You can stay there then for forty-eight hours, and that's and it's free. We try to get them to charge, which had to be better. But anyway, that's the way it works there. But uh, like we have advised nearly everything, including Dick Fields, Frank Fields, um, you name them. We've a call. We advise them to staff, and, and and even on the bays, we like we we have information on that with years and how to do it properly. And it, it, I know also hotels with big car parks. I just give you another for example. The West Lodge Hotel in Bantry, we, we had our dinner then there uh, a couple of years ago and we suggested look parking and they had an area where it wasn't being used uh, and they turned it into a motorhome parking area. It holds 30 vans and um, they charge a tenner a night but for that tenner a night you get access to the pool, to the gym for a nominal fee and you have the bear and the dancing and all that in the hotel Plus, you have services in the parking area. You have grey water and black water and fresh water. Now, you have the electricity, but most people don't need electricity. Pointing out again, most of our stuff are... Um, are, are you, you don't need electricity. I have oh, Everybody has solar panels. Most people have electric bikes or ordinary bikes. So, we're, we're you know, we're... we're we're not upsetting the planet that way either. Yeah, and then ju- just, uh, we will go back to the issue from I on the show on Monday because we have a lot of calls coming in on that now, but just from a- an owner's point of view then, where would you travel? I mean, how long have you been involved in this and you're based in Middleton, so w- where been, would you I go know, then? Would I, you go across Ireland or would you ever go outside of Ireland? Oh yeah, we go to France a lot and that's, they, France is, they have every little village have a, an ear as they call it for more homes to pack. Even, even the supermarkets have three or four parking bays, especially for more room, because they know in the morning, if they're traveling a distance, they're going to stock up and spend their money. And that's and, true, uh, yeah. That's uh, a very good point, like, yeah. e- e- Even Cork, we have, uh, have Cork, probably the best country for years, and now we were, we're responsible for nearly all of them. But, um, and which would you home? say, as you say, Cork is the best there, which is? Is Cork still the best in, in Ireland? Or who, who would you rate the best county if you have a motor home and you want to go somewhere and parking is, the, is of course, an issue? Where would be the best location in, well, in Ireland? Well, is good now. It was a fair few. Um, uh, um, Island and Steam, which we helped set up again, is a beautiful one. Beautiful under Ring of Kerry. Um, now, there's a lot of hotels that will leave you parked for general night and leave you used them. Um, uh, the gym facilities like showers and things like mm. that. We have a lot of them. Don't always want their names going, but we know who they are. And if you're in clubs and have stickers, like they know you've no problem with it. You know. Well, it's it's was it, in one way it's fantastic that people still you know you have motor homes because for for a while there they weren't popular. Now they are very popular again, especially in the last two or three years. What has happened with the pandemic? So oh, they're yeah, growing, I, and I, also the the investment in the economony uh, that people yeah. that, that the people will make when they stop in a town, and the town will benefit overall. So it is worth you would say anyhow for all towns or any local councillors listening. Yeah. If you don't have a bay in your yeah. town or a car parking facility for camper vans or motor homes. Uh, you should really look at this. Yeah, the amount of travel coming from Rossley, I know before we've done you know, four or five sailing to the continent, we have something tough, the other something now. So they're going to be bringing samples in by the new time, you know. So mm. we'll have to have space for them. 
Yeah, well, we'll wait and see what happens with the situation in Fermoy for the moment, Kieran. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. It's good to get an insight into uh, the world of motorhomes and parking. And best of luck to you. Are you going to go anywhere this summer yourself or, or maybe the next yeah, few well, weeks? So I, just one more time before we go. Due to pa- pandemic, people in motorhomes, they were cocooning themselves. They could drive around and you want to interacting with people only doing a bit of shopping and you could have, you know, whatever you wanted yourself. So they're safe out that way as well. Yeah, so, true. you know, we, we are staying in Ireland this year. You're sticking low. Pandemic, you know, but next year hopefully we'll, we'll be back to France. Very good. Well, best of luck this year, uh, staying local, supporting the Irish economy. Kieran, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Not about a bike. Take care, Kieran. Kieran Donovan there from Middleton. He's also vice chair of the Phoenix Motorhome Club and a founding member of that club, giving us an insight into motorhomes, parking, and why there should be dedicated parking spaces in towns. But interesting to see the contribution that it would make then to the local economy on how much on average a person who parks up in a town will spend just on a one night stay. Uh, and if they stayed for longer, if they commuted around the area and went back to that area again, that, that parking space that night in that town. Uh, that town would benefit so it is beneficial to have those spaces for motorhomes we'll get back to the issue in Formoy a lot of calls coming in that and callers that want to get uh, involved in the conversation we'll return to that on Monday show uh, just after 10am on Monday The C103 Cork Diary With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie Bingo in Mallow GAA Complex is on tonight at 8.30pm the jackpot is 2600 and 50 euro Banline and Inneskeen Ladies Club they are hosting a fashion show this evening it's in the Beta Hall in Banline at 8 o'clock in Olympian Phil Healy will be in attendance tickets are still available from Inneskeen Post Office and the launch of the Dick Barrett Centenary Commemoration takes place this evening at 8 o'clock in the Munster Arms Hotel in Bandon Ballonhasset Community Development Association they're holding a family fun bingo that's in the Marion Hall in Ballonhasset at 8 o'clock it's organised by Ballonhastic Camogie Club on all proceeds go to the Marion Hall Car Park and the Glen Theatre Drama Group they present the hilarious comedy Don't Dress for Dinner it's going ahead this weekend in the Glen Theatre at 8.30 on both Saturday and indeed Sunday night you can get tickets by booking on 029 56239 Mill Street Fire Service are holding a car wash in aid of Ukraine appeal it's this coming Saturday and it's going on from midday to 3 o'clock on Saturday coming at the fire station in Station Road in Mill Street and Bandon Vintage Club they're holding a car, tractor and motorbike display that's going ahead in Bandon GA grounds on this coming Sunday from 10.30am to 1.30pm followed by a picnic run it's all an age of cancer care at the Mercy University Hospital and back to tonight bingo as usual this evening at Middleton GAA it's on at 7.30 tonight in Middleton Court today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 And I mentioned there earlier on, this by the way is an article and it's something that was revealed by the Irish Independent as we mentioned at the start of the programme about the plan to pay people €400 a month to take in Ukrainian refugees to their home to entice people to take them in. A lot of this could be because people who made the decision initially have changed their minds I suppose when the reality comes about. But a few people asking on text and WhatsApp uh, just wondering JP if this is money, the €400 for taking in refugees is it taxable? Well to be honest it doesn't 
it's, it's only proposal at the moment and this is something that they're talking about in government that will be brought through the Department of Social Protection and Revenue Commissioners they've been asked to draw up plans so it's only plans at this stage they're not going to it's not going ahead at the moment it's only a source told journalists and that's how it's ended up on the front of the Indo uh, so it's not definitely going ahead probably will at some stage uh, but for the moment the exact details are not known I would presume it's not taxable if they're looking for people to take refugees they'll make it as easy as possible but when details officially are announced we will have all those for the moment uh, that is a source from the government given to a journalist that's ending up in the papers today so we don't know exactly the full detail of that as yet once we do we'll bring it to you and on cars not having mud flaps uh, a big reaction to this uh, all summed up with Kath who says everything is an extra JP when you are buying a car sure we don't even get a spare wheel today which is ridiculous if you happen to go into a big pothole and destroy your wheel you're left with no spare uh, says Kath on WhatsApp to 0862103103 and a sense system remunerator has been on and this these are the people out collecting are your census and they said that for those this person is obviously uh, collecting census at the moment uh, in the Cork area and is asking us to tell you that if you have not yet completed your census which you should have done on census night uh, then to do so ASAP and have the forms ready for collection but don't be surprised if the census person arrives to your door late in the evening because that can be the best time to get people at home but immunerators are getting abuse at some door for just doing the job they are employed to do which includes recording every family's details for future records so uh, this person who was doing that job at the moment is asking people to please cooperate uh, with those who are collecting these census forms and they are out and about at the moment and they'll be doing a lot more because I think they have to be all collected by May 6th you'll see a lot more activity uh, around your area uh, for those collecting these census forms but uh, they're asking people to be kind basically when they knock at your door late in the evening and uh, collect your form fun and games dealing with the public if you're new to that world collecting the census forms anyway uh, best of luck to all in that uh, our lines remain open 0818 103 103 Bernie taking your calls you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 and do you hoard items are you looking around your house and there is items that could go missing well if you are decluttering uh, well we have the queen of decluttering on the way next I'm Marie Kingston Record today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 0818 Earlier this morning on the programme we had uh, listeners from various parts of the county in touch with us just regarding phone reception and one was from Jemina with regards to Vodafone uh, they have been back in contact with us and they are saying that they are actually going to reach out to those people who were on to us earlier this morning and deal with them directly to find out what is the problem exactly Exactly when it comes to Vodafone reception in Jermina. But just as I'm talking, we've got a statement back regarding the three network because uh, we got calls earlier on this morning from the Bantry area from people who have said they have no reception and no data uh, from three who they are customers of in the Bantry area for the last number of days. And we now have just received this from three who say that they are improving network coverage for customers of three in that 
area and the reason why coverage has been intermittent in the last while is because they are carrying out upgrade works on their sites in the Bantry area and that is having an impact on service but these works are going to be completed by today they're scheduled anyhow to be completed for today so hopefully from tomorrow you should see no problems again for those of you on the 3 network in the Bantry area but the overall problem was due uh, to them carrying on works on their Bantry site. So thanks to Volophone and thanks to Three for coming back to us with those answers. Now, hoarding. It's a sign of anxiety in findings released recently. It shows that Irish people have hoarding tendencies. Well, this is something we have mentioned on the show before by Ireland's Queen of Decluttering. That is Anne-Marie Kingston of White Sage Decluttering. She joins me. Good afternoon to you, Anne-Marie. Good afternoon, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine. How are you keeping? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you for having me on this afternoon. Well, thanks for joining us because this is something you mentioned a number of years ago back when you joined us first and it's now been released in the last few days in a number of surveys, not only here in Ireland but across the UK as well. But they are saying us Irish have those tendencies to hoard items. So you've often mentioned this and is this something that when we you know, sit down in our house and we look around, are we just slow to let things go and then we have a situation that the clutter builds up around us? Exactly. So, Jampa, like we're going back now to again when we were children. Again, to, a lot of it is a mindset thing. We're listening to our parents, our grandparents, and saying, "Okay, you have to hold on to that. You have to mind that. That'll be valuable in time." But there's only so much our house can take. And as I always say, it kind of starts like a seed, um, and then something. There might be a tragedy in the house. There might be um, a loved one has passed on. There could be sickness. There could be just mammy trying to balance all the balls in the air. And again, it gets to a stage, then you see the overwhelm and all these emotions start rushing in through the body. And then we're, it basically takes control and we're like, oh, my God, how have things got so bad? And that's where then we're kind of knocked over and it's just taken over us. And we are, again, we hold on to everything, John Paul, because we're afraid to throw things out just in case. And I mentioned this a lot, I suppose, over the last two years, especially during knockdown. And I was saying, look, we have a world pandemic. Do we actually, are we using these items? Because things go up into the attic, as you know, they go out into the garage, or out to the outhouses, just in case. And then if they go out there, they're forgotten about. So yeah. we just hold on to everything, John Paul. And what would you case, say, then, to, say. <laughs> Exactly. What would you say to Amelza, though, who has been in touch? And she says that she would love to have yourself around to our house, but her husband would not let her throw anything out. What do you say to someone like Amelza who's in that situation? Do you know, it's funny because I'm actually here, uh, can say it today. And it comes up a lot with my clients because, again, since I went back on maternity leave, um, Cara, who's turned one um, back in September, and the biggest thing that's coming up for clients this year and last year, they're like, I'm, re- I'm doing it for me. I'm doing it for me, not I'm prioritizing me. I'm away down that list. Uh, the kids, the husband, the partner, mother, siblings, they're all up before me and women in our kind of more being empowered I suppose is the word I should use and they're saying I'm doing it for me because it's really affecting my well-being my my health is suffering because of it and again it affects the relationship relationships in the house and that's what happens is when like when clients from me and they're like Emery you're coming in sometimes I've gone into homes and their partners don't even know I've come they've organized it when they're away that's another thing. What happens is they do it um, discreetly because, again, you can be there can be, I suppose, in a house, there can be strong personalities and it's very hard then to to go around it. But sometimes you just have to bite the bullet and do it. 
And I'd go in, John Paul, to clients. And again, obviously, it's a non-judgmental and confidential service I run. And like the funny thing is the husbands and partners would say, oh, I'm really, let the declutter lady know near my wardrobe with this, this and this. And honest to God, I can only put money on it, John Paul, now at this stage. They'll produce two black bags to me before the end of the day because they could see the difference that you've created space. You're letting go of a lot of it could be recycling broken items the kids have maybe the kids are older you don't need to keep all their toys and a big thing John Paul for me as well like and I'm really I suppose I've touched a lot of this over the media for um for 2022 and I started back in 2021 about it but do you know John Paul if anything happened to us in the morning right like we're only there's only time in this world for all of us and you know who's going to deal with it when we're gone that's the other thing you see like who's going to come in and go through our clutter because clutter is personal to us all differently. So it's really, really important again for like for your listeners, you know, to, to start to start on that decluttering journey and go for it because you'll be surprised the amount of things that are unwanted, unloved and unused items. And that's what clutter basically is. Yeah, very nutshell. true. And you mentioned there about stuff in outsheds and in, in attics and lofts. I mean, if the yeah. husband, for example, doesn't want them when they're hidden away, they're out of sight and no one realises so they they're could go missing sight. and no yeah. one would know. Uh, so it isn't the worst yeah. thing in the world if something goes missing in a house. And that can lead, I suppose, the anxiety thing I started off with, you could see why if you're sitting yes. in a room or a house and you have everything oh. lying around, it is going to lead to that. I mean, you have to be ruthless, yeah. I suppose. For example, a few people are texting in about clothes and I did this myself recently uh, whereby the technique was just being ruthless just looking at something going I won't wear that again or I might wear that again or just gone shabby and into the bag and off some stuff will have to go dumping because it's not in a condition for a charity shop and some stuff could be good that can go to a charity yeah and John Paul you just touching it there like you know with clothes just say you know that you have shirts or say tops or whatever and just say you know the whole comes and whatever those items, those clothing, same with shoes, they can be taken to the charity bins or to your charity shop. They will be recycled back into clothing. So they don't have to go into the green bin, into the landfill. So like charity shops actually have a permit to accept those items um, from the community and they will be recycled back into footwear and back into clothing again. Same with bras, because I would have done a bra campaign, God, back in 2000. 18 I suppose for 9 million now um, just for your listeners I'm not accepting bras anymore <laughs> but um, again they would have been like bras again the amount of people that would have thrown them into the green bin because they didn't know where to take them so the charity shop actually takes like that, those underwear though they can't sell them they would be recycled back into clothing well, that's good to Same know that the they, the socks. they can be recycled, yeah, because you would you would look at yeah. those and think, well, they'll have to go dumping, but they can be taken to those that, that, that those charity shops that carry out this recycling facility and they will make use of those. Absolutely. And you see, the thing is, the charity shops, John Paul, they get five euro per black bag. So like if we're all gathering bits and pieces, every black bag they gather, they'll get five euro. So the charity shop is gaining, the environment is gaining. And look, we're all about trying to do a bit for the environment and sustainability. So it's really, really important again, I suppose. And that's what I'm all about is just, I suppose showing people how there's a place for everything. So when it comes to decluttering and organising, there's a place for your stuff. So like I would go to the charity shops twice a week with my clients' items because I take away their clutter. The recycling centre is an absolutely fantastic. I have to give them a plug because it's an absolutely fantastic um, service we have on our doorstep. I'm very lucky where I'm based in Clannacilty. I'm between Clann and Bandon, so like I have the choice of two. And again, when I'm on... Um, decluttering sessions as well like I will work out again if I'm in the area and there's a lot of recycling I will go to that local recycling centre so like it's fantastic to be able to do our bit like to know where stuff go because the amount of people John Paul that don't have never been inside the barrier of a recycling centre is outstanding it's unreal Um, so it's really really good like 
take a trip down there, see what you'll take. Because again, as you mentioned already, like it's like the paint. Where do I go with the paint? Or where do I go with the maybe the oil from um, the car service? Things like that. These can all be taken to your local recycling centre. Instead of filling up your sheds with all these items and then you can't open the door and it's basically an avalanche coming out to meet you. Yeah. These items can all go to its destination. As I always say, it's a destination for everything. True, there is so like indeed. your charity, recycling, family and friends to sell and pay things forward. So it's really, really important because as I keep saying, Jeff, like decluttering is a constant process. It never, never stops. So it's really, really important to keep it going like on a daily weekly monthly yearly basis don't let the clutter again build up until like and that's what a lot of clients over the years have shared with me especially the last two years jim paul do you know there was no birthday parties if you have small people in your house there was no birthday parties there was nobody coming to the house and people i suppose like us all look um homeschooling was on the agenda for a lot of us um so again, I suppose, look, our priority, it wasn't on our priority list. While now things are opening up, we're, thank God, welcoming people back into our homes again. There's parties, there's gatherings, there's Holy Communion confirmation season kicking in shortly. Um, so it's really important now to kind of get on that decluttering journey and clear stuff out. And while some people you have to be ruthless, yeah, well, you have to deadly, you have to be r- r- ruthless when it comes to anything, especially with clothes and uh, decluttering. But uh, if somebody wants to help family, uh, what's the best way to do so if they feel they can't just do this on their own, they need help? Perfect. So, what they can do, my number is 087652901, and I usually hang out. My usual haunt, as I always say, is on Facebook, <laughs> so um, that's where I usually hang out, and all my details are there as well. Um, I have a new website kicking off very hopefully by the weekend and that'll be www.whitesagedecluttering.com and all my details John Paul will be there Very good Anne-Marie as always great advice and we'll chat to you again soon we could chat all day but we must go to news but thanks Anne-Marie for joining us Thanks John Paul Take Thanks, care Anne-Marie Kingston there of White Sage Decluttering and just talking about how hoarding certain items can lead to that anxiety and the t- great tips there on how to declutter your home uh, from Anne-Marie That's about it from us for this week uh, Patricia Messenger is back on Monday morning with Cork Today from 10am My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced Across the Week Have a fantastic weekend I'll chat to you again tomorrow morning here from 8am with the all new C103 Sports Breakfast if not back here Sunday morning from 10 with the Irish Sunday across North and East Cork and the city, John Green across West Cork. Have a good weekend. Chat to you tomorrow morning at 8. I'm John Paul McNamara. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.